All right. Well, thank you all so much for um, coming back and joining us this week. Um, if you have missed a couple of our classes or uh, maybe this is your first time here, we have been diving into the book of Job. And so one of the things that we touched on early on is that this is wisdom literature. It's one of three books of wisdom literature in scripture. Uh, the others are um, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And they are asking big questions about the purpose of life, um, who is God, who are we in relation to the world. And that is the tradition that uh, Job is written from. Uh, and so we opened up with a narrative about the, uh, this heavenly court where the Satan, the accuser, comes to God um, and says, the only reason this great guy Job is being so great is because you have been blessing him. If you stop blessing him, he will curse you. Uh, and so that sets up this story in which everything Job has is taken away. First, it was his uh, children and his wealth and his home and um, all of the things that he had that provided stability. Um, and then after that, in another wave, his health was also taken away from him. And so we have found Job in deep suffering and despair. And his three friends have joined him uh, and... Uh, spent some time with him in silence, but then could stand it no more. And that has begun a cycle of um, responses between the friends and Job. So we, we will be looking at the second and the third cycles of a friend speaks and then Job responds uh, today. Uh, and so I want to go ahead and give you just a little bit of taste of what this is. Uh, we're going to cover a, a pretty big chunk, uh, 12 chapters today, but we're not going to read all of it. It does uh, I don't want to say it gets repetitive, but some of the same themes are introduced. So if you want to read this on your own, that would be a great thing to do. Uh, but we're going to just read a few verses right now. Um, so if you wouldn't mind starting in chapter 18 for us. Okay. Yeah, chapter 18. We'll read the first 8 to 10 verses or so. Bildad from Shuah answered, How long would you all stop talking? Try to understand then we can speak. Why are we considered beasts, ignorant in your sight? To you who tear yourself in rage, will earth be forsaken for your sake? A rock be dislodged from its place? To be sure, the light of the wicked goes out. The blaze of their fire doesn't shine. The light in their tent becomes dark, and their lamp above doesn't shine. Their strong strides slow down, their plans trip themselves. They are caught by their feet in a net. They walk on a mesh. A trap grabs them by the heel. A snare tightens on them. A rope is hidden on the ground for them. A trap for them along the path. So what do you hear in that? What is um, Bildad essentially saying? So I hear maybe a little bit of, who do you think you are? Um, shall the earth be forsaken because of you, or the rock be removed out of its place? Uh, who are you that you should be talking like this? And then that's followed up with, don't you know, the wicked get what's coming to them. Uh, and so by default, if you are 
receiving these bad things, it must be because you are wicked. And so that's pretty um, uh, similar to what the other friends will say and what Bildad will continue to say. Uh, and so we won't read more of that. But Job's response, um, it, starting in chapter um, 19, verse 1, Then Job answered, How long will you torment me and break me in pieces with words? These ten times you have cast reproach upon me. Are you not ashamed to wrong me? And even if it is true that I have erred, my error remains with me. If indeed you magnify yourselves against me and make my humiliation an argument against me, know then that God has put me in the wrong and closed his net around me. Even when I cry out, violence, I am not answered. I call aloud, but there is no justice. He has walled up my ways so that I cannot pass. He has set darkness upon my path. He has stripped my glory from me and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side, and I am gone. He has uprooted my hope like a tree. So Job's two themes are? He's innocent. Yes. I do not deserve this. Yes. And what else do we hear Job saying? Yeah. Not only are the friends not helping, neither is God. So no matter what he says, he can't find comfort in his friends, and God is not answering him. Um, and that is, I think that's the root of Job's pain, is the, the loneliness that he feels in the midst of his suffering. And despair. Yes. Despair. Absolutely. He's definitely pushing back against his, his friends. Yes. Why are you harassing me? But at the same time, it doesn't seem like he philosophically disagrees, right? So that's why he then turns it really most of his anger toward God. Is mm-hmm. why God are you doing this? Because I am innocent. So he's not really disagreeing with them philosophically. It's just like, are you really good friends? Right. If this is how you're going to treat me. Yeah. In the first couple of verses, I, I kind of hear a theme of like, this doesn't concern you. This yeah. is between me and God. Yes. Like mind your business. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In his mind, he's treaded the ground. He's, he's gotten his traction, and now he doesn't know where that traction took him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, his whole world has been turned upside down. Um, not just in all the losses he has suffered, but also in this loss of who he thought he was and who he thought God was. Which can be a really lonely and scary place to find yourself. Uh, so chapter 15, we, we went through chapters 15 through 17 uh, last week with Paige. Uh, if you missed that, I would highly encourage you to go online and check out the recording of that because it was a great class. Um, but it does begin the second cycle, so I wanted to include it here. Uh, so who do you think you are? The wicked get their just desserts. And then chapter 16 and 17, Job is saying, um, your words... Um, your words are not helping me. Sorry, that is a typo. <laughs> Your words are not helping me. And God, why are you doing this to me? Uh, and then chapter 18, we have Bildad who says, I, I can't hold my tongue any longer. Not that he has been holding his tongue. He has spoken already. Uh, but he can't hold back anymore. Uh, the wicked receive punishment for their wrongdoings. It's clear. It's evident. This is what happens to the wicked. Then chapter 19, Job has said, God is doing this to me, and I don't know why. And if we remember from the earlier chapters, God affirms Job and says he is righteous. Uh, So Job is right in saying this. 
And then Job says, where is God when I try to take my case to him? Uh, it's, it's not fair that God, who is so powerful, can do this and nobody can hold God accountable. Uh, and then chapter 20, Zophar also can't hold his tongue anymore and says the wicked will have to pay one day. So he's, he's conceding a little bit. Yes, the wicked might get to prosper for a little while, but someday they, they will see the fruits of their wickedness. And it might not be them. It might be their children that see it. Um, and then Job responds, that's nonsense because look around you. Sometimes the wicked actually do prosper. Uh, and then he says, my complaint is with God. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to God. So whatever wisdom you think you have to offer is not helping me because I need to hear from God. And then in the third cycle, we have Eliphaz again. Um, God is God. Who are you to question who God is? Um, and then he comes up with this list of, well, if this is happening to you, you must have done this. And he gets pretty creative. Uh, you, you must have been a terrible person and done this, this, and this. And starts assigning things to Job uh, that, that have never happened as far as, as we know. Um, and then he says, if you'll repent of all these things that you clearly have done wrong, then um, things will turn around for you and things will start to go well for you again. And then chapters 23 through 24, Job says, where is God? He gets to do what he wants and has no one to hold God accountable. Uh, the wicked sometimes do prosper. Sometimes they never have to face consequences. Um, and this is a big statement because the worldview at this time is that uh, the righteous will receive good things and the wicked will receive bad things. And so Job is pointing out what everybody can see but doesn't want to admit. Job is saying, no, you know there are dictators who, uh, who die in peace and never have to see the fruit of their evil works. And you know there are people that are good who suffer in poverty and in pain for all of their life. Look around you. It's not as fair as you're saying it is. And then Bildad says like two or three words. Uh, essentially, hu humans are worms or maggots in comparison with God. And then Job says, okay, but how does that, that, how does that help me? That does not comfort me at all. Um, yes, God is powerful. That's the problem. If God is so powerful, what gives God the right to pick on a human who, who has no power? Um, because that's how Job sort of feels in this moment is that he is being um, unrighteously picked on. Um, and then Zophar uh, doesn't say anything. So this is an incomplete cycle. His friends are getting a little frustrated with Job and are running out of things to say. Um, so what do you, what is um, coming up for you as we kind of go through what these cycles are? Does any of this sound familiar to you in your own life? Um, what's, what's resonating with you or sparking some questions for you? Yes. Ironically, the accusation that Job is saying that God's accountable to nobody. The whole premise of the whole story is that he's making himself accountable to Satan. Oh, interesting. He's like, I, this whole thing is going to be, and we get to hear, and we know the end of the story. And this is unknown to Job. That the accountability that he's saying that he's accountable to he's the subject of it. Hmm. That he's going to be held up to the light and found righteous in the end. That's just ironic. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. 
Yeah. I, what comes for me is how, um, you know, on our side of scripture and how Jesus is the answer to all of those things, like where is God and all these bad things happen. Well, Jesus is here. He is the friend who knows. And going through like the Beatitudes, all the ways that Job thought he was blessed. You know, Jesus says, blessed are these people who are mourning, who are poor. Like, the ways that we think of blessing is not what Jesus says is a blessing. Right. And so the ways that we think we're blessed, um, or the way Jesus says we're blessed is when we are brought low, because then we know the friend that he is. Hmm. Um, and, and how Job doesn't know that. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. what's interesting and just continues to baffle me is that Job still has this intimacy with God but yet he feels like there's still a chasm between him mm-hmm. and God but yet God is so close um, and that kind of <coughs> tension of where God he doesn't see God working and he doesn't see God speaking in those moments but God is so ever present and I feel like whenever I see people going through things or whatever or with myself where like where is God? Like where I feel like I, I'm not seen. I know I'm just one small soul, one speck in the sand, but yet God is so personal. He has that personal relationship with him and I just think it's really awesome. I wish that I could be as vulnerable with God as Job is. Yeah. Um, and have that like boldness and that intimacy to like say, where are you? You know, like instead of like cowering. I don't think that that's yeah. Um a really beautiful way of presenting the suffering. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, she said essentially that um, Job is uh, feeling this tension of God um, feels distant, where is God? But at the same time, there's this intimacy in being able to bring his full self to God, to be able to say exactly how he feels, um, even the hard things, even the, the, you know, God, why are you picking on me? Why have you done this to me unjustly? Um, and so there, there is a strange sort of intimacy in being able to say that, even in the midst of the question, where are you, God? Um, and uh, I think that's a beautiful, a beautiful thing to notice. So did I do justice to your... Okay, perfect. <laughs> Lots of times it's so hard to feel like you're wrong and in despair, but you're waiting. You're waiting for the unknown. Yeah. Or for a job, or for guidance, or what's going to happen to that that work or something. I think that just that having to trust that uh, I've read over and over, you know, trust me, trust me, but it. Yeah. And, and the word that comes to me is patience, which is something. And even with the friends, I mean, I feel like they were fine in a different ways to help. But, and I certainly have had friends that come across where they want to hit you to get you out of where you are. Yeah. But sometimes that's, well, lots of times really you want just to be understood. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
How, how many of you have a similar uh, feeling? I know for me, waiting can sometimes be the hardest part. If I knew this suffering was going to last 10 years, but there was an end date to it, um, that would almost give me more comfort than <laughs> not knowing, you know, it could last 10 weeks and it could last uh, forever. I, I would almost rather have a longer end date than to sit in the uncertainty and the unknowing. Um, so, yes, Dale. Um, this is not a fully formed idea, but uh, it seems like Joe is trying to go through the grieving process and his friends keep trying to short circuit it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been listening to podcasts where they comes up from time to time that we don't know how to grieve properly in the Western world, mm-hmm. and that's just what comes to mind for me is that Joe's trying to kind of mm-hmm. stay the course and just kind of trying to push him off over. Yeah. What? Where do you think Job is in the grieving process? Grief at this point. Yeah. I don't know all the things. Yeah. I know the last one except um, a- anger. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 Okay. I, uh, I think it's almost ironic, sort of funny, that a common phrase in our language is refer to someone as having your patience at Job. That surely isn't biblical. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, we're not considering how much complaining Job did in the, in the midst of his <laughs> trials. Yes. And this guy has been hit. He over has. And over and over. He has. And his whole society has taught him mm-hmm. that it's cause and effect. Yep. And that's frustration. Yes. He's just frustrated. Yes. And he feels like he's done everything he's done. <coughs> yeah. And he doesn't know what we all know. Mm-hmm. But still, I mean, he's right there in the battle. Yeah. And he's, and they sat with him. His friends sat with him for a long time. Mm-hmm. And they commiserated him until they got tired of him. Yeah. That's frustration too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's perfectly okay to be frustrated. Yeah, absolutely. How many of you have been in an experience where not only was there suffering, but the suffering caused something in your worldview to shift? Um, whether that was a broken relationship or an illness or, um, uh, you know, family dynamics. Um, it, it almost feels like the, the worldview shift is worse than the suffering in some ways. This it's not having any solid ground to stand on. Um, there, there may have been some comfort for Job if it really was a cause and effect because then he could just do the right things and things would be, you know, there, there would be something to blame and he could make sure it didn't happen again. Um, but I think what's causing this tailspin is not only this horrible suffering he's been through, but that that's, it's shattered everything that he knew about about his world, and he's having to rebuild it all from scratch in the middle of this deep, deep grief. Dixie. But in the midst of that, like, to, so, so things that have happened in my life like that, the, in first or second Peter, when it talks about all these things that have happened, so that you may know about your faith, which is a greater worth than gold. So to me, when I, um, when you can't identify why are these bad things happen to me that's good person or whatever because God values you knowing that you have faith like in the midst of all this with Job he never renounced God like he's mad but 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 Job knows now at the end of it the one thing that is most important to the Lord and that is a faith that won't be shifted yeah. and the only way you know you have that is 
that my chicken. Hmm. And um, the, the trial part, in the midst of it, you know, when you're not on the outside of it, and you don't know what's happening, um, is earth shattering. Yeah. And you feel like you're not standing on solid ground until you only have the one solid thing that matters. Yeah. Hmm. That's a great point. All right. Um, so we have a little bit of time left, um, and I want us to get in groups of three or four um, and answer some of these big questions that I think the text is asking of us. Uh, and the first is, what is the point? If the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer, what is the point? Why bother being good? Why bother trying to have a relationship with God if you were just going to suffer anyway? So I'll give you guys a few minutes to turn towards your neighbor and share all the wisdom that you have around this topic. <laughs> and talk loud so I can hear because I'm not sure the answer. <laughs> All right. Thanks for your great discussion. So, what do you think? What? Where? Uh, where did your group land on this? What is the point of trying to be righteous if there's no reward in it? What did you just say? What What is the point? What did your What did your group? decide what was the general consensus some words of wisdom you can share with the rest of us there there is some people other than Joe I, I think I think Paul that has such a state of spiritual well being that it's almost like he welcomes suffering hmm. like the to end suffering for him is to end this other state of spiritual well-being. He's not going to... And I was talking about some people I know in recovery that refuse pain medicine. Hmm. If they're going through a surgery or something, say, no, I will suffer because I don't want to be in that boat. Yeah. But, I'm not, I mean, I'm not there yet. Don't... I'm not there. <coughs> but they're not jeopardizing their state of spiritual spiritual well-being by by something that would short-circuit or end their suffering. Yeah. It's almost like suffering is a gift. Hmm. I mean, it's wacky. I, I'm not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I know people like that. Yeah. I mean, who defines possible? Mm. What is it? Well, now you're asking some good questions. <laughs> yes. I kind of thought uh, about who in other cultures. Well, we might think is um, bad suffering for us it might look like real prosperous living for someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned a good thing the point, at least in our context, we may have a discretionary time to sit and observe ourselves more than a culture where survival is all they can concentrate on. Hmm. Yeah. Great point. 
Yeah, this is the question that Job is asking, um, but I wonder if it is the best question. Um, I wonder if a better question isn't, um, what is the point of human life? And, and then how does suffering fit into that? Um, so what is the point of human life? It seems what like you're asking for? the question from a position of dark despair. The truth is the wicked prosper and they suffer. Yep. And the truth is the righteous prosper and they suffer. So what's the point? Well, do you want to be wicked? <laughs> if you want to be wicked, uh, it seems to me they mostly suffer. Sometimes they prosper. The righteous mostly prosper. Sometimes they suffer. But he's, he's dealing with a point where God's letting Satan have his way with him and it's going to last for a period of time. And then he's going to prosper again. So it's, uh, I don't want to be wicked just because I know some wicked people need to prosper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm not in the depths of despair that he's in <laughs> right. right now. Right. That's very true. Um. The, the Westminster Catechism uh, asks, what is man's chief end? Does anybody know the answer? Uh, man's glorify chief end God. is to, to uh, glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Um, and so, uh, to your point, um, and to your point, uh, prospering might look like enjoying God, not enjoying um, all of the things that we have or um, our wealth or our safety or our security. Um, and it's possible to enjoy God, I think, um, even in moments of pain and in moments of despair. Uh, but I, I think that's beautiful because I think, you know, sometimes I, I uh, grew up with a, a mentality of um, not enjoying God, but but trying not to upset God um, so that I could go to heaven. And I, I love this idea that, that um, someday we will enjoy God forever uh, and we can start doing that right now. Um, I just think that's, it's been really, it's really helped reframe a lot of things in my life for me. So, um, so Job is also crying out to God and God is not listening. Um, so, if God does not answer our prayers, what is the point of praying? I'll let you get in your groups again and discuss. All right. So, I do want to say something really quickly. Um, for those of you who are sitting in this room who have been struggling with these questions, um, there is no shame in that. Um, it is normal. Um, it is part of the Christian journey. Um, doubt is not the opposite of faith, certainty is. And so if you are at a place in your faith uh, for weeks or months or years where you have questions or you're wrestling uh, with things and about who you are and about who God is, uh, that is okay. It's welcome here. You do not have to go somewhere else to wrestle with those questions. Um, you don't have to leave church to wrestle with those questions. Church is the place, I think, to wrestle with those together with other people. And so I just want to normalize that because I think sometimes uh, we can feel like, um, oh, if I'm doubting, then this isn't the place for me, and I want to wholeheartedly reject that. So just wanted to, to throw that in there really quickly uh, while uh, we still had a few minutes left. 
Um, but as you guys were talking about what is the point of prayer, um, what, what came to mind? What's something that your neighbor said that stood out to you or something that maybe was an aha moment for you? What's the point of praying? Uh, so for those who may not have been able to hear, uh, she said the point of prayer is intimacy with God. And that is ultimately what Job is looking for. And uh, we know that that is what Job received, is assurance that God was there and God was listening and God cared. Uh, I heard you make a good comment when you were talking. Do you want to share what you said about prayer? Uh, yeah, I said, I think when we view prayer as this response, or yeah, request, response, question, answer, favor, acceptance, rejection, that's so limiting, it's more like along the lines of you were saying, it was intimacy. It's having and creating the space where a relationship with God can happen. And maybe God is giving Job the same treatment that his friends are. The best part of what they did is Job brought all of his grief and suffering to his friends. And the best thing they did in that time was say nothing for a week. Mm -hmm. That's what he needed was that silence. And so sometimes God understands that we need to have that space and that intimacy and that vulnerability for us to say whatever we need to, maybe the best blessing God can give us is his silence. Because maybe what he has to say is not what we need at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's such a great point. I wrestled with this question for a while. So my um, brother and his wife um, lost two babies within the span of a year. Um, one was born at 24 weeks and only survived a few hours. Uh, the other was born nine months later, and um, she was born at... 26 weeks and survived for three weeks in the NICU uh, before she passed away. And while all of this was happening, uh, another friend of mine posted on Facebook um, when she got to bring her premature daughter home that God had answered her prayer. And that was really devastating for me because we had been praying for my niece and nephew as well. And so why did God answer that prayer and not our prayer? And it was just really heartbreaking for a long time. Um, and I think, and I don't have all of the answers to this, but um, similar to what you were both saying, what brings me some amount of comfort is, I mean, if you think about a parent-child relationship, if you're, there are some things that your child brings to you that you can fix, right? If your child comes to you and says, I have a headache, you can give them some ibuprofen and make them feel better. If your child comes to you and says, uh, I have a broken heart, uh, you can't fix that. Um, but if your child did not come to you and say, um, that they were hurting, um, that would damage your relationship. You wouldn't know that about them. Um, if they didn't feel like they could bring that to you, um, that would be a sign of something wrong in your relationship. And so I think that's where what I have come to is, um, is uh, kind of what Lynn was saying, that um, knowing that I can bring everything to God uh, creates that relationship, creates that, that space um, where I can glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Um, in a way that you can't if you just don't bring what's truly on your heart to God. So, what else? Yes. I mean, going off topic a little bit, but the, I look at that question, I think it really points out one way that Job's friends blew it mm. big time. 
I've been reading a book, I think it's called The Great Discernment. But in one of the final chapters, he's lost his a major piece of his family in an accident. And he was saying, well, what is the point of even being in church? I can't sing. Right now in my grief, I can't sing. I can't pray. And he said something that just struck me. He said, because when I couldn't, the church did it for me. Mm -hmm. And that just hit me. Yeah. That when I when I can't pray, and even in our life group, when I couldn't pray anymore, our life group prayed. Yeah. And they held up, they held hands. And that's what mm -hmm. Job's friend showed us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, the sign right now at Otter Creek West End says, at the end of the day, we're all just walking each other home. And I think, uh, I think that what you said pretty well encapsulates that. Uh, sometimes we need to be carried, and sometimes we need to do the carrying, but we're just mm -hmm. walking each other home. So, yes, Annie. Um, I just want to share the big challenge that we had this year. I got pregnant, and then I have also a friend that got pregnant. And I miscarriage, mm -hmm. and she did it. So that's a big question. Yeah. yeah. And I, I said, I asked her why, why she, you know, she is like her her tummy is big now and mine is still didn't, you know. So every night I'm still praying and hoping that God will answer my prayer. And maybe one day, and you know, I still have faith in God no matter what. Yeah. And for me, praying is is. Like you said, it's intimacy and communicating, mm -hmm. and and how time with God, even though you know He didn't answer, we prayed for maybe in time. Thank you for sharing that, Annie. Uh, we join with you in your suffering, and we we join with you in your your prayers. Yes. All right. Well, thank you all for being here today. Uh, we'll see you next week. Um, talk more about about Job and uh, get to hear a little bit about um, a new twist on uh, why where is God in suffering and what is God doing so see you next week Thank you.